Tonight I'm sharing a message that actually is going to fit really, really well by coincident or by God's plan compared to um, us organising this uh, with the dinner that we're going to have a bit later. So I want to share with you tonight, um, firstly, about the theme for 2020 and then the series that we're starting out the year with and, um, and then I'm going to talk about the message. Now, I'm not sure if I introduce myself. I'm Mark. I'm the senior pastor here at Hills Baptist and it's an absolute privilege to to bring the message tonight. So late last year, Nick and I kind of spent uh, a day hanging out, thinking about themes for uh, 2021 and reflecting on the year that had been, thinking about what was coming. And um, we were kind of looking for a word and and asking God to guide us in where he wanted uh, this year to go and what he wanted it to be about uh, for us as a church. And um, the word that, that kind of sat with us and we'd been talking about different things in the office and there was just one word that particularly jumped out at us and that was the word renew, renew and so we want to make the theme for this year about uh, renewal and renewing things and when we went to the dictionary to look this up uh, it was really interesting because um, in the dictionary that I looked up online the first definition, first explanation of the word renew was to resume an activity after an interruption. We thought oh that's kind of apt for this year after last year, because last year was pretty interrupted, uh, as I think we all knew. And then at the second uh, meaning I really love, it is to give fresh life or strength to something. To give fresh life or strength to something. And so I don't know about where you're at in life and in faith, um, but I think there's probably an area in your life where you could say, I would love to give fresh life and strength to some part of my life, my journey, my walk with God and how I live out my faith. And so when we look to the uh, scriptural foundations, we discovered that this idea of renewal is like all through the scripture. Psalm 40, uh, sorry, Isaiah 40 says, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. It's a, it's a fairly well-known scripture, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. There's something about hoping in God that brings renewal to us. And then uh, David, King David, uh, in Psalm 51, in a, in a time of repentance, he writes a psalm, and he, he cries out to God saying, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. It's this cry to say, like, there's something about my spirit that's not steadfast and steady and strong. God, would you come and renew my spirit? I wonder if anyone here tonight, uh, if they think about their faith, would, would cry out the same thing. God, come and renew a steadfast spirit within me. And then the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and he's talking about the reality of living in a world where you're persecuted and, um, and they're, they're facing all sorts of challenges. And he says, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. And it speaks to this idea that God's renewal is not like this once-off moment when we become a believer and we make a decision to follow Jesus and we experience some renewal, but actually God wants to be bringing ongoing renewal into our lives and like constantly growing us and changing us. And then, um, and then finally, there's this interesting verse in Psalm, uh, Psalm 104, and it's actually speaking about, not about people, but about animals and about the whole creation. And, and it says here, when you send your spirit, they, being kind of like the creation, they are created and you renew the face of the ground. And it's really interesting, um, about 12 months ago, there was the fires that went through much of the Adelaide Hills. And um, 
the, the, and it just left all these black paddocks and burnt out trees and most of you would have seen that. But what was fascinating was that literally within a week or so after that, there was really heavy rains that fell. And within a few weeks, driving around the hills, paddocks that had been blackened were actually now green, like bright green. And then trees, a few months later, trees that had been burnt and black were actually just growing these incredible new leaves out of the trunks. And it's like in creation, God has built this design for renewal. And so we want to see renewal this year in, uh, in you know, your heart for Jesus, in your love for others, in your family, in your relationships, if you're married, in your marriages, uh, in your concern for the broken and the lost, in your prayer life, in your love of the word, and in our mission as a church. In every area we, we want to see renewal. My greatest joy is not just to be a manager of church, where I, as a pastor I like manage an, an organization that runs services. That's not what I signed up for. It is to see people's lives changed. See God bringing renewal in people's lives to bring fresh life and strength. So we're going to be talking about renewal. We're going to be following four themes that we actually borrow from a series, a course we do called Growth Track, which we haven't run yet at night. Uh, the themes are Belong, Believing, Becoming and Building. So tonight I'm going to talk about Belonging. And for me, it's actually significant to share a message about Belonging, firstly because we're doing the dinner. It's a great tie-in. Um, but also because today marks for me, and it popped up a little photo on my Facebook, a photo that was taken on the first day of my ministry here at the church exactly nine years ago today. And because of that, I like got Judy, take a photo of me out the front of the church. And I look back and I do look a little younger um, nine years ago. Um, but when I came here, not all of, you, all of you will know my family, but they're kind of like, my kids are quite big now. Um, uh, but when I came here, my, my daughter was one year, year old and she's now 10. And my son, my eldest son was five, just turning six, and he's now 15 and almost as tall as me. And so like being here for nine years and this idea of belonging is really important to me because when we came here to this church, we knew no one. Like we'd met the elders in the interview process, but like there's all sorts of networks across churches in Adelaide. Like I know lots and lots of people across lots of churches. I don't know how I didn't know anyone in the hills. I think hills people just don't like to leave the hills. So they just <laughs> stick, stick around and don't like to, you know, mix with those strange people on the plains. Uh, imagine sometimes they might speak a different language or something. Um, but I didn't, we didn't know anyone. And we walked into a church where there was a room full of strangers. And the exciting part for me is not that through the journey they have become friends, it's that they have become family. They've become family. And belonging has meant so many different things. From organised things like being in a small group with someone or attending a church camp to sitting with people and talking over a coffee or a meal. It's meant, it's meant people helping me out with things in my house because pretty much I'm useless at everything. And I can look around the, around the room and see people who have helped me in various ways. John Moyle putting up um, internal cupboards in our walk-in robe. Um, various other people. Belonging looks like so many different things. Um, I said to my wife, uh, there was a women's event yesterday, which some of you were at, there was about 50 women there or something like that, across all ages, awesome. I said to her uh, last night at tea, I said, what is, what's, what, how would you describe your story of belonging at Hills Baptist? 
And she said, well, I have to think about that for a minute. And she said, um, she said, okay, for me, belonging is arriving at a church picnic for women and knowing some of the women really well and knowing others only a little bit and some barely at all, maybe not even at all, but knowing that when I walked into that, I was walking into a family gathering. Again, this idea of family. So, um, so that's... Um, uh, that's belonging. But you know, uh, we actually live in a world where there is an epidemic of loneliness taking place. And um, I, I came across an article on the Victorian government website where they were quoting a, a, a researcher, a psycho clinical psychologist who'd done a whole lot of uh, research in the area of loneliness. And um, they are actually seeing that loneliness is not only a an issue affecting mental health and causing an increase in things like depression and anxiety, it's actually causing physical health impacts. Loneliness is actually uh, a bigger impact on physical health than obesity and smoking, on life expectancy, on cardiovascular health, on mental health in old age. That loneliness is now being seen as a serious um, medical issue in our society. And lots of countries around the world are saying there is an epidemic of loneliness. In 2018, the British government, the UK government, has um, the, um, oh, what's the term, the ministers. They have the ministers for all sorts of different things, like minister for the economy, minister for foreign affairs, and they introduced a minister for loneliness, which is kind of incredible. It also, to me, does sound a little bit like you could make a Monty Python sketch out of it. Um, <laughs> Could just imagine the Minister for Loneliness trying to walk down the street to catch the bus after the day's work. Are you okay? Hi. Can I give you a hug? Can I give you a hug? Anyway. Um, but obviously it's, uh, it's not actually a joke. Um, it's actually pretty serious. It reflects something very deep. Uh, and, and you know that uh, it, it doesn't surprise me that the incredible rise in loneliness is, is almost matched by the decline in faith and involvement in church. I don't think that they're unrelated things because I think God is central to the concept of belonging, as is the church. Mother Teresa once said, if we have no peace, it is because we have forgotten we belong to each other. If we have no peace, it's because we've forgotten we belong to each other. We kind of live in a society that to some extent has forgotten we belong to each other. So I want to take you on a bit of a journey uh, tonight. I was going to preach through 1 Corinthians and that would have been a lot easier. Uh, but I'm going, to, I'm going to start in Genesis and work my way a bit through the Bible. It sounds like it's going to take forever. It won't. And I want to track the origins of belonging and then uh, where we fit into that and where Jesus fitted into that and where the church fits into that. So let's open up to Genesis chapter 1, um, which will also be on your screen. And uh, we're going to read just like the very first verses of the entire Bible to set the scene. In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And that sort of sets the scene for the start of creation. If we go to verse 26 and 27, um, God says this. He makes a very interesting statement. God says, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish, 
in the sea and the birds of the sky and over the livestock and all the wild animals. But I want to just pick up this very first thing. Let us make mankind in our image. Now, anyone who knows anything about grammar would realise there's something strange going on there. Because if I, said to, if I got up in the morning and I said to myself, let us go to the gym, it would be a sort of an odd statement. Let us go to the pantry and get the breakfast cereal. There's something not quite right there, right? It should be, you know, let me. Um, or, but this is let us. Is there a mistake here? Has the person translating this or writing down made an error? And the answer is no. In fact, in this tiny little saying or phrase, a tiny little sentence is something very, very profound is being stated. And that is a revelation of something about God himself. You see, God before he existed, you think about this, before he's created anything, was God just sitting for eternity on his own with no one to talk to and nothing to do? And just being like, and after a while, I was just like, man, I am so bored, I'm just going to have to create the entire universe. And the answer is no, because God is one God, but we've come to understand through the scripture, it is very hard to gra- grapple with concept that's full of um, challenges in understanding it, but God is one God, but he's actually three persons. And so God is God the Father, we see Jesus constantly praying to his Father, but also God is spirit. And even in verse 2 of chapter 1 of Genesis, we see the presence of the Spirit. And most people think, well, the Spirit came at Pentecost. That's when the Spirit arrived. But that's not true. In fact, verse 2 of chapter 1 of Genesis is where the Spirit's first mentioned. Verse 2 of chapter 1, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. If we jump ahead to John chapter 1, the start of John's Gospel explains where Jesus was in this process too. It says, in the beginning was the Word, this is speaking about Jesus, and the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And by Him and through Him all things were created. Nothing's been created uh, that wasn't created through Him. And so at the start of creation, the Scripture declares that the Father was present, the Spirit was present, and Jesus the Son was present. And so this concept, or this verse that says, let us make let us make mankind or all people in our image, in our likeness, is a reflection of the fact that God by his very nature is belonging, is relationship, is community. Okay, God is community. He is the origin of belonging. And then God creates us in his image. What does that mean? Not that we kind of look like God or that God looks like us, but actually that God has There's aspects of our nature that are in the image of God. And one of those at the absolute center is firstly that we're created for eternity. He said eternity in our hearts because God is eternal by nature. And so no matter what background, whatever you're wherever you come from, there will be this sense that there is more to this world than what we see and feel and can touch. And there is an eternal element to this world. And another aspect of being made in his likeness is that we are created for community. And we are created with a deep longing to belong. And that is in the heart of every person. A deep longing to belong. And then what happens is, very quickly, in chapter 3, there's this thing called the fall where sin enters humanity. 
and Adam and Eve, the first people, turn away from God and break their relationship with Him. And then very quickly that ends up breaking their relationship with each other. And later on when they have kids, that breaks the relationship between the kids because one son kills the other son and then he is banished. So that relationship's also broken. And we see that the impact of sin is the breakdown of community and relationships which leaves people lonely and longing for belonging. And it's very interesting to see in this world what people will do in the search for belonging. People will make terrible choices that are incredibly destructive to themselves because they are desperate to belong. And that happens all the time. So God has a rescue mission. And his rescue mission is to start with he chooses a people to be his people, to be uh, kind of a witness, a prophetic uh, picture of community. That's the Jewish people. Uh, They don't do that very well. Uh, but they are called to be the people of God in relationship with one another and in relationship with God and to be a a light to their neighbouring nations and to the world about what community and belonging looks like. They do it pretty poorly, but that's only part A of God's rescue plan because out of that people comes Jesus. And Jesus is the rescue plan. He is the redeemer, the reconciler and the restorer. He comes to bring people back into relationship with God and with one another. First with God, then with each other. And interestingly, Jesus flips the understanding of belonging in the day that's being taught on its head. Because in the day of Jesus, the Pharisees are going around and they're saying, right, you've got to behave. They're very big on behavior. And you've got to believe the right stuff. And if you believe and then you behave, then you can belong in this community. Right? That's kind of their pattern. You've got to believe, you've got to behave. If you do those things, you belong. And if you don't do those things, you are out. You are called a sinner, you are labelled, and you are separated. And so Jesus comes along, perfect God in human flesh, and who does he go and hang out with? Not the Pharisees, the sinners. He goes to those who are meant to be not accepted, not loved, not belonging, and he goes with a message to say, you belong, and I've come to restore relationship with you. So he goes to Zacchaeus, a guy in a tree who's a tax collector, which in Jesus' day is a terrible thing. And he says, come down, mate. And he doesn't say to him, I want you to go and sort out all the people that you've ripped off and pay them back. And I want you to start believing properly in the law and obeying it. And then come and speak to me and let me know when that's happened. And then I'll be willing to come over to your house for dinner. Jesus says, come down from the tree. I'm coming to your house for dinner. And the guy's life, through that act, of belonging is changed forever. In response to Jesus simply coming to his house for dinner, he says, right here and now, before they've even gone for dinner, he says, right here and now, I'm going to give back everything that I've ripped off and I'm going to pay people back double. Jesus shows the same compassion to a woman at the well uh, who's had five husbands. I preached about that recently. He, he shows the same compassion to a woman caught in adultery He shows the same compassion to the woman who weeps at Jesus' feet and dries his feet with her hair, person after person after person. And you may be saying, well, hold on, is it all just acceptance and everyone's accepted and there's, well, what about holiness and sin? Well, Jesus came full of grace and truth and he held those two things perfectly without ever denying one or the other. He showed perfect grace to people, total acceptance, saying you can belong, you can belong, 
you're not that far. The kingdom of God is at hand. And he showed also a holding on to the truth as well. Anyway, all this to say that then Jesus is crucified and through his death on a cross where he bears our sin, that is the act of reconciliation which allows us to be brought back into relationship with him. And it's the foundation of our healthy relationship. And out of that, almost immediately, is birthed this new thing called the church. But the church wasn't first mentioned in Acts. When is the first mention of the church in the entire scripture? Interesting question. And the answer is, it's in Matthew chapter 16. Let me read this to you. Okay, I'm going through a whole lot of stuff here. Are you still with me? Excellent, excellent. Okay, Uh, they come to a place called Caesarea Philippi. And Jesus asks his disciples, who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Another way of saying that would be to say, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And another way would be to say, you are God's chosen king, the saviour, the one who's promised, who's come. And you're the son of God. And Jesus replies, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell or Hades will not overcome it. Now, there's a little play on word there because Peter's name means rock, and he says, you are Peter, you are are a rock, you're a small rock, but on this declaration that, that Jesus is Lord... I'm going to build my church on this rock, the declaration that Jesus is the Messiah. I'm going to build my church. That's the first reference to church in the entire scripture. And the question is, church has never been mentioned before. It's never appeared before. So what did they actually hear? Did they say, awesome, you're going to build your church? And they said to each other afterwards, what's a church? (laughs) They didn't do that because the word he used uh, was not church. The word he used was a Greek word. The New Testament is written in Greek and is translated word for word. The word he used was a word called ecclesia. Different ways of saying it. I'll say ecclesia. And uh, he used the word ecclesia. And the word ecclesia is not a religious word in any way, shape or form. The word ecclesia means it was, it was, a, it was reference to their culture and their society. It was a gathering of people who gathered with purpose. So anytime a group of people gathered with purpose, that was an ecclesia. So he's saying, I'm going to build my people, my gathering, my congregation, my assembly, my people with a purpose and with a mission. And their purpose will be to be a prophetic example like the Jewish nation was meant to be, a city on a hill that people would look to this organization as a symbol of what belonging is. And not only that, but this church, this organization, its mission would be to reach out and say to other people, hey, come on in, you can belong in here. And when we see the early church at work, it's exactly what we see. We see these incredible, beautiful pictures in Acts of the kind of church that I want to belong to. In Acts 2.42, it says this, they, the believers who are part of the, the ecclesia, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They actually sold possessions and property to give to one another who had need. And every day they continued to meet in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God 
and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So it was this incredible close community, but it wasn't a closed community. It was a community that was so close and yet also looking out and bringing others in, saying, come on in. Come on in and hear what's happening. Come on in and be loved. And the early church was known for their compassion and for the way they loved people and the way that they welcomed people in. They would find people who were new to the city who didn't know anyone. They would find people who were broken. They would find people who were hurting. They would find people who had been left out on the margins of society. They'd say, come on in. We will just love you. You don't have to believe anything yet. You don't have to behave in a certain way. Just come on in and we will love you. And they had, in that incredible belonging that they showed, people began to hear of an even greater belonging, that they could belong to the living God through the Son, Jesus. Now, that's the community of the church in the early years. You then have to ask yourself, how did it get from that? Because they didn't have a building, they didn't have pastors, they didn't have uh, services in, that looked anything like we did. They just like sat around a meal, shared food and, and chatted and prayed together and someone had talked from the scriptures and they'd have worship, but it wasn't like a big band and and like rehearsal, would it just be like, probably like a cappella or someone playing something? I don't know what instruments they had. The lyre. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and that was it. But it's awesome. That simple gathering of people changed the world. So how did it get from that to what church became over the centuries? And the answer kind of is because Christianity became the official religion of the Roman Empire. And once it did that, Constantine, the, the uh, emperor, looked around and saw that there's all these temples to pagan gods. And he said, well, that can't happen now because Christianity is the religion. So we need to get organized about this religion. And we need to get rid of these pagan temples. Let's keep the temples, though. Let's use the, turn them into churches. And so suddenly we had uh, a new way of doing church that happened very, very quickly, where church became a place and it became an event. It became something that you went to where there were priests who wore robes and did rituals to deal with your sin. And this transformation happened quite quickly. And, uh, and then when they went to write the New Testament, by then, this new word, which wasn't assembly or gathering or congregation, ecclesia, when they translated the word ecclesia, like every word around it, they're translating the Greek into the English. When they hit ecclesia, they used actually a different word, a Germanic word, uh, from a Germanic word, kirk which they translated into church. So it's interesting because pretty much the whole New Testament is a translation, but actually this word is a substitution. Not saying necessarily that's the problem, but the problem is this, that there's a huge difference between a kirk and an ecclesia. A kirk is something you go to. An ecclesia is a people you belong to. And you don't attend an ecclesia. You belong to an ecclesia. And um, uh, my fear is that actually too many Christians today uh, are actually in this situation where they've traded the fullness of what God has given to us, this gift which is the ecclesia, which is the, the belonging to a community, and we're actually just happy to do Kirk. Because kind of Kirk's easier. Because once you do ecclesia, it's a little bit costly and it's a little bit risky you have to offer something of yourself and you have to be open to others and you have to show some more of yourself but that's actually what the gift of the church is Nikki Gumbel said this a church is not an organization you join it is a family where you belong 
a home where you are loved, and a hospital where you find healing. You see, we have this new concept today, which is really interesting. We, we sometimes talk about unchurched people and, and then Christian people. But today we have this new concept, which is unchurched Christians. And the question is, is that, is that fine? Well, it depends whether it's a Kirk or an Ecclesia that you're talking to. Because you can unchurch yourself from a Kirk and just not attend a service. And you can tap into worship and you can tap into word in various other ways and you can live out your faith and do that and read your Bible on your own and that's totally fine. But you cannot detach yourself from an ecclesia and still actually be connected. It's not healthy. And if you were to go to the early Christians and saying, what do you think about the concept of someone who's a Christian but is not actually connected to the ecclesia? They would say, what are you talking about? That just doesn't make any sense. We're called to belong. That's part of the gift. That's what it is. And so the question I want to ask you tonight is, how are you approaching church? Are you here tonight with the mindset that you're attending a kirk? Or are you here tonight with the mindset that you've actually come to be part of an ecclesia? You see, our world today actually pushes against us um, drawing near in community. It's not surprising to me that loneliness is in epidemic proportions, even at a time when we're more connected than ever. Even at a time when most of you could tell me on your phones through Facebook that you've got hundreds of friends. And so do I. Half of them I don't actually know. Uh, <laughs> so we're more connected than ever before. We've got more friends than ever before, but there's an epidemic of loneliness. And I actually think our culture keeps us at arm's length more and more. A generation ago when I was a kid, my parents used to do this thing and, and other people would do it to us where they just drop in on people's houses. You might still do that. I don't know. I'm old now. Maybe it's a cool young adult thing to do. But mostly these days, you kind of, in my world, we have to make an appointment to go and catch up with friends. It's like we get the diaries out and we plan two weeks ahead. But in the old days, it was like, oh, it's a Saturday afternoon. Let's just go and drive down someone's driveway and knock on their door and say, here we are, we've come. Just, <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't actually like say it that loudly or, or sort of dramatically. But, you know, you just visited people. These days, you don't really do that. Or if you wanted to talk to somebody, you would actually talk to them. These days, we're more inclined to text. It's almost like, oh, having to make a phone call seems like stressful to us. Oh, I don't want to bother people. I'll just send a text message. It's almost like there's something about us which is, finds it difficult to connect, despite our longing for connection. What's another thing? Uh, life is really busy for many of us. Some of you are uni students, so it's a little less so. But um, no, it's a joke. I know some of you are doing degrees that are different to the degree I did, which had 13 contact hours. Um, uh, a lot of us are really busy. Lives are full. That makes it hard to connect. And the final thing in terms of connecting as an ecclesia, as a church, is that you've got a culture out there that says coming to be part of this is ridiculous or irrelevant or meaningless. And your whole culture pushes against it. So you drive to church and you're driving past people on a Sunday morning or a Sunday afternoon who are mowing their lawns or sitting in a cafe or doing this or doing that and you're kind of going, well, maybe I should be doing what they're doing because that's what everyone's doing. And so the culture pushes against us. But I want to say to you that what we have here in being part of an ecclesia and here as in, in churches all over the place, not just here, but here as in being part of a church is precious is important, is immensely valuable, and is a gift of God to you. Not to just come along and attend something, but to invest yourself in community. 
to belong, to truly belong. The New Testament is full of instructions about how people should belong, about what we can do to really belong in community. It's, a, it's generally known as the one and others. And it's borrowed from a Greek word, a singular Greek word that's translated in English as one another or as sometimes each other. And I want to read to you the one and others from Scripture because this is what we are called to be if we're going to truly belong. First, we need to be at peace with each other. Second, we need to wash one another's feet, which is about humility and service. Third, just love one another. Fourth, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honour one another above yourselves. Live in harmony with one another. It takes hard work in a church to do all these things, let me say. To stop passing judgment on one another. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you. Instruct one another. Uh, greet one another with a holy kiss, which I think is about embracing. <laughs> just, just to clarify. Uh, when you come together to eat, Wait for each other. I love that. It's so practical. It's like when it's time to eat, when they came for their meal, don't just, don't just jump in and grab all the best food. Wait for everyone to get here because we're a community and everyone's important, everyone's valued. Have equal concern for each other. There's no room for favoritism. Serve one another in love. Carry each other's burdens. What a powerful thing if we're a church where we carry each other's burdens because we've all got burdens. And at different times, different one of us have got greater burdens that need carrying. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns and spiritual songs. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Bear with each other, which kind of means put up with each other when we're a bit annoying with each other. Speak to, uh, I've said this one, forgive whatever grievances you might have against one another. Teach one another admonish one another, encourage one another daily, encourage one another daily, that's often. When was the last time you encouraged someone? Spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Confess your sins to each other, pray for each other and offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> if I could summarise it in one, 1 Peter 3, 8 says this, Love one another deeply from the heart. I want to challenge you to embrace these commands. I want to challenge you to live them and to practice them and to fight for them. To stop just attending Kirk and to be committed to being an ecclesia. Because they're very, very different things. Here's 10 ways as a band come up. I'm going to finish with a story and give you 10 practical things that you can do to belong to this church in 2021. First... Attend church weekly rather than just letting yourself kind of attend whenever you feel like it. Two, join a small group, a life group. Three, take part in church events. Yesterday we had 50 women gathering together. Late last year, 50 blokes gathering together. There's, I would love to see men and women from the morning service and the night service coming together because we need to grow from people of different generations and both are a blessing to each other. Number four, pray for and with people in the church. Pray for and with people in the church. Ask someone for prayer if you need prayer. If you hear someone struggling, offer to pray for them or just in your prayer life, pray for them. Invite someone over for a meal or catch up for someone with a coffee. Be proactive. Call someone up. You never know what happened. You, you might develop a new friendship out of it. Serve on a team. 
Uh, a lot of belonging happens as we serve. Encourage someone. Thank someone. Be a blessing to someone in a practical way. And finally, give faithfully and regularly if you're a regular part of our church. Giving is a powerful means that we partner in the gospel through the church. I've got to say this. Sometimes as a pastor, I can get a little frustrated. Not often because I love my church. But sometimes there are people who just sit on the fringe and don't connect in any way with church. And then they'll come up and say to me, I just don't feel like I belong here. And you're like, well, hmm, maybe there's some things that you can do to help that. There's actually things we can do. Yes, churches do connecting and loving and welcoming imperfectly. And we, we should all do it better. But we can actually all play a proactive part in belonging in this church. Let me finish with a story. The story is a bit of a cliche and finishes with a bad pun, but I kind of like it, so I'll share it with you. Um, and this story is possibly historically accurate or is possibly just a story. For the sake of not claiming it's historically true, I'll just say it's a story. There's a story of a, of a, of a man who um, uh, had stopped going to church. He just hadn't been at church for quite a number of weeks. And so the pastor decided that he would go and visit this man. And he visited him one night in the dead of winter. He knocked on the door. This guy lived on his own. And the, the man opened the door and sort of uh, nodded, didn't really say welcome, but just sort of signaled, come on in. And so they walked in and the two of them sat down by the fire. And the man who hadn't been at church uh, waited to, for the pastor to start talking and thought, well, he's going to tell me, you know, I should come back to church and all of this. But the pastor just sat there and said nothing and they just sat and watched the fire. And after a few minutes, the pastor got up and he went over and he grabbed the tongs for the fire and he reached in and he grabbed a burning hot coal from out of the fire. He sort of showed it to the man and he reached over and he placed it down on the bricks on the fireside. And then he went and sat down. And now both of them, their attention was drawn not from the fire but to the coal. And the hot, burning, bright coal, as they watched it, began to grow blacker and colder and lose its energy. And just at the point where it looked like it was just completely black, again the minister stood up and he grabbed the tongs and he picked up the coal and he placed it back in the fire and almost immediately the coal began to light up again and the energy returned to it and the colour returned to it and it became part of the fire again. And with that, the minister walked out the door <laughs> and he hadn't said a word. The next Sunday morning, the young man was at church again and after the sermon, after the service, he went up to the minister. He said, thank you for your visit and thank you for your fiery sermon. So, with that said, my prayer uh, is that you will belong in this community and that you will take the risk to be open, to share your life, to share your story, to share your heart, to share something of yourself and to give of yourself in a way that loves others and welcomes them and helps them to also know that they belong and most of all, that helps people know and be reminded that they belong deeply to God who loves them more than they could possibly know, whether they're part of the church 
for people who don't yet know at all of the great love of God and the belonging that's possible through Jesus. Let me pray. Father, I want to pray for each person in this church tonight, in this ecclesia tonight, each person who you love so much, each person who you want to know that they deeply belong to you because your grace is sufficient for them to welcome them in, to show them immeasurable, unconditional love and grace, grace that saves them and redeems them and reconciles them through your blood. And I pray that in being reconciled and restored and redeemed, you would renew us as a church in regards to our belonging, that we might truly reflect and be this light on the hill, a demonstration of what true belonging is, belonging to you, belonging to one another, and able to shine that light out to this world that is lonely and in need of belonging. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app. 